Greetings and salutations and welcome to Full Time, brought to you by the Game Sports Show, the Game Entertainment and Media, and sponsored by Northern Superior Brewery in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. This our April 23rd edition of Full Time, covering the beautiful world of soccer. My name is Scott Nason, one of your hosts, and joined by our other host, as always, Daniel Scarpino and Daniel it's been a while uh, due to busy schedules for both of us, but as always, lots to talk about in the world of soccer. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Scott, and yes, it's uh, it's certainly good to be busy because that means that things are as normal as they can be, but I'm definitely doing well. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, Daniel. Let's get right to it. Uh, normally, we record this show midweek. We're actually recording this show on a Saturday. So uh, let's start with the European Big Five leagues and the Premier Leagues. And there were the Premier League, I should say. And uh, there were some matches played earlier today that have uh, a lot of significance as far as the standings. Let's start at the top of the table. And right now, Manchester City, as we record the show, they are four points up on Liverpool. Man City, uh, no trouble with Watford earlier today, five to one. Liverpool will play tomorrow. So more than likely, they will be just one point back. Uh, Arsenal, a big win. It's been a good week for Arsenal as they knock off Manchester United 3-1. to one. Uh, Tottenham, uh, they draw with Brentford today, uh, nil-nil. So looking at the top four, Daniel, in the Premier League right now, we already talked about Man City and Liverpool. Chelsea, who did lose earlier this week to Arsenal, they're still pretty solid third with 62 points. They've played two less matches than Arsenal or Tottenham. Uh, Arsenal now in fourth in that Champions League position. Tottenham, they've really slipped up as of late, as has Manchester United. We'll talk more about them in a second. But just looking at the top of the table, Daniel, including the Champions League positions, we're only down to about uh, five or six matches left for a lot of these teams. What are you seeing? Well, I'm seeing uh, a lot of consistency at the top and not so much consistency from spots four through six. And Chelsea's somewhere in between all of that. So, Manchester City and Liverpool, I think, is going to be an absolute, an absolutely fantastic and, and fascinating race right till the end. I think the likes of Chelsea, they've probably done themselves more uh, more than enough, I would say, in terms of uh, the 62 points that they have. And with the two games in hand, I'm sure that they're going to be a solid third place. But then spots four through six, you never know between Arsenal, Tottenham and Manchester United which team's going to turn up because the uh, the inconsistencies are absolutely real for each of these teams. Arsenal lose three games on the bounce, then they come back and win two in a row, and then Tottenham will drop a few games, and then they'll win some. And then Manchester United, obviously, they've got a lot of difficulties, but they're a little bit up and down. So uh, it's very difficult to call right now who's going to get fourth. Obviously, Manchester United have dropped uh, a little bit in comparison to Tottenham and Arsenal, but uh, I still have this funny suspicion that Arsenal, unfortunately, might drop both, but time will tell, Scott. Yeah, certainly uh, will. I think the match against Tottenham and Arsenal, I believe that's in at Tottenham, might decide the whole thing. But let's focus for a minute, Daniel, on Manchester United. Uh, They have a new manager, Eric Ten Hag. Uh, He is appointed as the new manager of Manchester United after they dropped a 4-0 decision earlier this past week to Liverpool. And uh, today, really, I mean, maybe they looked a little better today, Daniel. I watched a lot of that match, and boy, defense. 
defensively, Manchester United is just a mess. They looked lost out there at times. I mean, they were in the match. They had a chance to tie it on a penalty, but they, they hit the post, and then Arsenal would capitalize. But the rebuilding of Manchester United, I mean, things have not gone well for them, obviously. It looks like they're in doubt to finish in the top four. They could get a Europa League spot, not out of a Champions League spot, but, you know, they got bounced in the Champions League, and uh, certainly it's going to be a big overhaul of players, I think, at Old Trafford uh, for their new manager. Well, I would say so, and Rolf Ragnick already mentioned in one of his post-game interviews, and I believe it was after the Liverpool defeat and how bad that was, he said, yeah, there's about 8, 10, 12 players that need to be shipped out going into next season, and Ragnick's not even going to be the manager because Eric Ten Hag is coming in, so uh, from what I've read and what I understand, United are going to give uh, the new manager about $125 million to have reinforcements in the team, and obviously the way that Manchester United have performed this season, they desperately need it because they have been poor. And like you said, against Arsenal today, I watched the the first half of the game before I went to coach, and then I watched the second half on DAZN when I got back. And yeah, United looked okay in moments, but not clinical enough. And just generally speaking, from a defensive point of view, as you said, they looked quite lost. So they're going to need a lot of reinforcements, and uh, Eric Van Hogg is going to have his hands full, hands full going into that Manchester United job because you know how big the pressure is, Scott. It, it is indeed. And Daniel, quickly looking at the bottom of the table, it really looks like Norwich and Watford are pretty much done in the Premier League. Uh, both of them bottom of the table. Uh, Watford's seven points clear of the, or seven points below the drop zone. Uh, Norwich eight. So it looks like those two teams will go back to the championship division. It's really going to come down to me between three teams, Leeds, Everton, and Burnley. Uh, Burnley right now, they are the team on the outside looking in. They have 28 points. Everton has 29. They do have a match in hand, and I believe that's against Liverpool coming up, so mm-hmm. that match uh, may not be in hand for very long, much longer. Leeds uh, still in possible doubt to go down. They have 33 points, but, you know, teams that were, we were discussing, Daniel, a little bit ago about possibly being, uh, you know, relegated, Brentford and Newcastle, all of a sudden you blink and they're all in the top 10 or close to it, so great yeah. turnaround by those two clubs, but uh, really, to me, comes down to uh, Leeds, Everton, and Burnley, with Burnley maybe the one right now, Daniel, in the most trouble. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I couldn't understand the rationale behind uh, sacking Sean Dyche with only eight games remaining. I yeah. happen to agree with, uh, disagree with that, rather. I, I really didn't understand the decision. And, uh, you know, people will say, well, they picked up a draw and a victory in their last two games. Well, if people know soccer, the new manager bounce is a real thing. When a new manager comes in, you tend to perform well for a little bit, but then you start to phase out. So my personal feeling right now at this moment in time is what we see with the bottom three, Norwich, Watford, and Burnley, I think those three teams will go down. But Leeds United and Everton are going to have to do some work to stay up. Obviously, Merseyside Derby tomorrow for Everton. That's probably going to be a loss for them. But uh, I think that Frank Lampard should do enough to, to keep Everton in the Premier League, Scott. Moving on to Serie A, and uh, the best race uh, involving three teams is definitely in Italy, as things stand right now with five matches remaining. Inter, top of the table, 72 points. AC Milan with 71. Napoli still in the mix with 67. Juventus 
still has an outside chance, but it looks like they will likely finish in the top four and get that Champions League spot. They have 63 points, Roma five points back of Juve, uh, and they only have four matches left. So it looks like it's going down to the wire, Daniel. Inter Milan, you can't count out Napoli as well. A great race going on in Italy. Fantastic race, and it's been fascinating to see week in, week out. Catch the odd game here and there. You try and shoot for the best ones to watch. But, yeah, what we see right now in terms of the top four should probably stay as is. Roma is making a little bit of a push. But the big thing with this race, because it is so close, if you pick up a draw, you're leaving two points uh, on the table. So it almost feels like it's a loss. So between Inter, between AC Milan, between Napoli, these teams cannot afford to drop points. Napoli's run of form out of the three teams has been the worst as of late, simply because they have a draw and a loss in their last two but, uh, yeah, if any draws are, are picked up, it's almost looked at as a loss. So an incredible race right now, and it's still very difficult to tell with five matches left of who's really going to take the bull by the horns and get themselves over the line, Scott. Well, we do know, Daniel, who will get over the line in La Liga in Spain. It's not official yet, but Real Madrid, uh, 15 points ahead of Barcelona with uh, just five matches left to play. I think they just need one more win, and they will officially clinch it. Uh, Good battle, though, for the Champions League positions. Uh, Barcelona in second, 63 points, no longer in European League football. Sevilla tied with Barcelona at second with 63. Atletico Madrid fourth with 63. 61. You still have Real Betis and Real Sociedad in the mix as far as uh, final Champions League positions, and we'll certainly talk about another club coming up when we do talk mm-hmm. about the Champions League. But, you know, Real Madrid, Daniel, they, they just keep on chugging. And, you know, they, maybe not a ton of height for them this year, but it just that outfit just always seems to win, and they're doing it domestically and internationally. Yeah, 100%. And I would say that by Real Madrid standards, anyways, they've gone about their business this season in a pretty quiet fashion. Right. Real Madrid is a, is a pretty uh, flamboyant, if you will, or, or big club in terms of the, the hype that they get. So, yeah, it's been it's been really good for, for them this season. And well done to Barcelona for climbing back up to where they probably should be. But 15-point gap, you'd expect, obviously, Real Madrid is, of course, going to win it. But top four, I would say that Sevilla and Atletico Madrid will get those last two Champions League spots. Was watching, uh, just before we recorded our broadcast, Daniel, uh, Bundesliga action, the top two teams uh, facing each other, Bayern Munich, home to Borussia Dortmund, uh, Munich with a 3-1 win, and uh, they basically have a lock on first place, uh, disappointing for them, and we'll talk about that coming up as far as the Champions League, but they are once again the class of the Bundesliga, they have 75 points with Seven matches remaining, uh, Dortmund in second with 63, and then a big drop-off from there. Uh, Leverkusen in third with 55, Leipzig in fourth with 54, Freelberg and Berlin, along with Köln still uh, in the mix as far as Champions League positions. But certainly uh, been a tough couple weeks for Bayern Munich internationally, but a, a good win today and a match on national television in the United States. You don't get that a lot with Bundesliga uh, matches. It was on ABC, so it was nice to see some very good coverage and uh, Bayern Munich uh, taking care of business domestically as they usually do. Yeah, as they, us- as they usually do, Scott, and as they, uh, as they should, really, I would say. But probably by Bayern Munich standards, a little bit of a disappointment to drop out of the Champions League in the fashion that they did. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, yeah, we expected Bayern Munich, you and I, uh, to, to really win 
the Bundesliga at the beginning of the season. They're showing themselves to do that, being so so many points clear at the top of the table. So it is how it is, and it's a race for everybody else to try and fight to get into the Champions League and European spots. And finally, in France, Daniel, nothing's changed. PSG, I, I believe they are officially the champions now, or if not, they will be. Any thoughts on that? Uh, no thoughts. They're in the match right now, and I think if they do win that, officially they're champions. But the only kind of uh, thing that I do have to say is that who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. We got a lot else to talk about, Daniel. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this April 23rd edition of Full Time, sponsored by Northern Superior Brewery in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. And, Daniel, let's talk about the UEFA Champions League. Uh, the semifinals are set. Uh, the Premier League combatants, Manchester City and Liverpool, each finished off their quarterfinal tie a week ago Wednesday, and they will join Real Madrid and Villarreal in an all-English versus all-Spanish final four. Manchester City, they are set to face 13-time UEFA League winners Real Madrid. And Liverpool will take on Villarreal, the unexpected long-shot semifinalist of 2021-22. Those matches will begin on April 26th with Manchester City hosting Real Madrid at the Emirates with the return leg in Madrid on May 4th. Liverpool, they will be at Anfield to start their semifinals against Villarreal on April 27th with the return leg in Spain on May 3rd. And, you know, some great quarterfinals, Daniel. Uh, maybe not as much for Man City and Liverpool. They didn't quite have the drama. Man City, uh, they win 1-0 at Porto and then played to a nil-nil draw, so they really weren't challenged in that one. Uh, Liverpool didn't make it e easy. They did uh, play to a 3-3 draw against Benfica at home, but they won the first leg 3-1. to But really, where all the action was, was in the other two quarterfinal ties. Mm -hmm. uh, Villarreal, uh, you know, going to Munich and uh, getting a result and beating them. You, you figured, you know, they did well in their home leg, and you figured going back to Munich, uh, they were going to get run out of the building. It was not the case. They ended up drawing that match 1-1, winning on aggregate 2-1, to and uh, boy... Chelsea and Real Madrid, what a wild, wild uh, sequence that was. Real Madrid, they win 3-1 to one at Stanford Bridge. Chelsea really given almost no chance. Their own manager said they almost had no chance going into that match. They end up getting a 3-0 lead, and they almost were about to go through, but they give up a late goal, and then uh, you know who, uh, Mr. Benzema, gets a goal in extra yep. time. Real Madrid wins that uh, tie 5-4 to four on aggregate. So uh, your thoughts on those quarterfinals and looking ahead to the semifinals, are we heading for another Premier League Champions League uh, final, or uh, will the Spanish teams have something to say about it, Daniel? Well, I would say in, in regards to the quarterfinals, there was a lot to talk about, certainly because you, I never saw Villarreal winning that tie, and they did. No. Kudos to them. They, they, I certainly got that one wrong, but they played well enough to get through. And then, obviously, the Chelsea-Real Madrid tie, having to catch the ends of those games instead of being able to enjoy them thoroughly because of uh, my work schedule, of course, that was a little bit frustrating, but it was, wow, 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 just amazing scenes in general, if you're a neutral fan, that is. And then obviously, like you said, the less entertaining with men, Manchester City against Atletico Madrid, and then obviously Liverpool and Benfica. But going into these semifinal matchups, I think actually this Villarreal and Liverpool tie is going to be a lot closer than people might think. And the reason why is because if you take a look at the style of football that Bayern Munich play, 
Liverpool's not entirely different, so I think it could actually play into Villarreal's, Villarreal's hands just a little bit. So I anticipate Liverpool should win, but it's going to be a close tie. And then Manchester City and Real Madrid, I actually do believe that Manchester City will win. I think it'll be an all-English final. And the reason I believe that is because Real Madrid has been riding their luck a little bit here and there, particularly in that Chelsea tie in the quarterfinal, and I think that their luck just might run out. So I anticipate an all-English final, Scott, and I think we're in for an extraordinary run here in these semifinals. What do you see? Yeah, I, I see the same thing, Daniel. Uh, certainly it was just a, a wild sequence, and you know me, I'm a big Chelsea fan, and even though they lost that, uh, they certainly went down fighting, and uh, it was, you know, nice thing about my job is sometimes I can get out a little early on match days when they start mm-hmm. at 3 o'clock, and uh, was able to watch the whole thing, and uh, just just a lot of excitement and a lot of a lot of great action in the Champions League, and certainly in our next uh, broadcast, we will know the results of those matches indeed. Daniel, let's move on to the FA Cup and uh, Chelsea. They set up a second Wembley meeting with Liverpool this season as they overcame at Crystal Palace in their semifinal, winning at 2-0. And then the other match, Manchester City. They fall to Liverpool 3-2, lost talk about those matches Daniel give us your thoughts well I found the Liverpool Manchester City game not to be as riveting as their uh, draw previously in the Premier League so Liverpool had an unbelievable start in the first half and then the second half I found to actually be really boring like yeah, really, really boring so it was uh, it was an interesting game Liverpool had that quick start and that's all they needed to get through and then Chelsea against Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace, in moments, played some decent stuff. I think the absence of Conor Gallagher really hurt them in that game, but that was also a good game to watch. So I think going into this final now, Scott, I just have this funny feeling, Chelsea now being in their third straight FA Cup final, I believe that Liverpool are not going to win this one. I think Chelsea are going to do it. And the reason that I feel that is because Liverpool are on for an extraordinary season right now because they're still in contention for the quadruple but Jurgen Klopp has said at some point we are going to lose something and I think for me anyways this something will be the FA Cup final so I think that Liverpool will drop against Chelsea and Chelsea will be FA Cup champions what are you thinking Scott? Yeah I mean I I like where you're going with that Daniel certainly (laughs) uh you know Chelsea you know they don't have as many big matches to play for I mean every match Liverpool has from here on out is a big match. I mean, they cannot yep. drop any points in the Premier League. Uh, obviously, the Champions League, they're going to be playing a couple midweek games. Chelsea can focus on this match and and taking care of enough business to secure a top four spot. So I like your thinking on that. And it's just very, very hard to win uh, you know multiple trophies, let alone a quadruple, which, uh, to my knowledge, Daniel, that's never been done in England, correct? Never been done before, yeah. This will be and- the first time. And I think the last team to get the the treble, if you will, was that Manchester United? Yeah, I think it was the 99 team in, in Manchester yep. United, FA Cup, Champions League, Premier League. The David Beckham Manchester United, if yes. I'm not mistaken, yes. indeed. So yeah, it's certainly going to be a lot of fun to see that one, and uh, we will talk about that one on our next show. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this April late April edition of Full Time covering the world of soccer. And Daniel, a couple weeks ago, the World Cup draw was uh, given out in Qatar, and uh, the World Cup will begin in late November. And let's go through the groups and just kind of give our 
initial thoughts. Obviously, it's going to be a different summer in the world of soccer because there will not be a World Cup played in the summer. It will be played in November and December. And so let, let's go through each group and just give our initial thoughts. And certainly, uh, once we get closer to the actual World Cup itself, we'll give our predictions and uh, know a little bit more about the teams. But let's start with Group A, uh, the group that everyone wanted to get into because we knew the host country, Qatar, would be in that group. Qatar is in that group, obviously. Other teams in that group include Ecuador, Senegal, and the Netherlands. So, Daniel, what's your early thoughts on Group A? Certainly, uh, I think all those other three teams are very happy to be in that group. No offense to Qatar, but again, you're not in Brazil or Argentina or England or any of the top-tier countries. What's your initial thoughts on that group? Initial thoughts on that group, Scott, would be that the Netherlands got to be smiling ear to ear, you'd imagine, because if, like you, like you said, if you wanted to, to get into any group, it would have been Group A. So, Netherlands must be happy, and we can't undermine this uh, this Senegal team. I think that they are really, really good. So for Senegal and the Netherlands, I think that it's happy days. And then Ecuador and Qatar, they're going to have to do some work. But I think Group A should be relatively easy to guess when it does come that time for us, Scott. But certainly the Netherlands are probably the happiest of the bunch. Yeah, certainly when their uh, name was drawn uh, in the second round of of the, uh, the the World Cup draw, they had to be very happy. I think every country wanted to be drawn in that second pot of teams. Uh, you know, every host nation has made it out of the qualifying group except South Africa in 2010. It's going to be pretty tough for Qatar. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't play uh, World Cup qualifying. They did play uh, a lot of, uh, you know, pretty high-profile friendlies. They did play in the 2021 Gold Cup, losing to the United States in the semifinals. Watch out for the African teams this World Cup. Yes. I really think that many of them can advance, including Senegal on this one. I, You know, early thoughts, uh, Netherlands, I think, has enough. They've certainly improved that team. And being in this group, I like their chances. But I also like Senegal. Don't know a whole lot about Ecuador, and you can never cut out the South American teams. But when the World Cups are not played in South America, a lot of those teams don't advance. So I like initially Netherlands and the Senegal to get out of Group A. Group B, now there's still uh, some uh, work to do in this group because we don't know the fourth team as of yet. England, the uh, top seed, if you will, in Group B. They are in with Iran, the United States, and either Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine. Now, we did find out that Scotland and Ukraine will play their qualif- their playoff match rather in early June in Scotland. The winner of that one will take on Wales. So it will either be Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine in that Group B. Not the first time the United States has been drawn in a group with England or Iran. They've, they've done that twice. Your thoughts on Group B, Daniel? That one is going to be a fun one. That one is going to be a fun one, and I think the unknowingness right now for who's going to win that Euro playoff, I think that just kind of heightens uh, the intensity and it heightens the, uh, the the mood going into the way that we view Group B. But I still like England the best out of this group. I think USA being, I think their average age, Scott, and you might be able to correct me on this if I'm wrong, I think it's 24. Correct. Like that's, that's like, that's really young. So could you just imagine the future for the United States, even if this World Cup doesn't go to plan? But I like this group. I think it's going to be entertaining. I have this funny feeling that Wales is going to get into this group, and I think that they could be, uh, they could be really good. So England, for me, top. And I think that the U.S. is going to have uh, a fighting chance, certainly, against whoever might come out of the, the Euro playoff. 
Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun in this group. The, the U.S. has been drawn in a group with England. Uh, they played to a 1-1 uh, draw. I believe that was in South Africa in 2010. Uh, they've also played Iran back in 98 when they just totally wet the bed, if you will, <laughs> in that World Cup. It's going to be tough. You know, I'm pulling for Ukraine. I don't know how anyone cannot yeah. pull for that country right now. And that's tough because I have a lot of Scottish heritage. Uh, my grandfather has lineage in Scotland and so a lot of a lot of teams that I root for are in that group Daniel England the US Scotland and then kind of my uh, you know my heartstrings are are pulling for Ukraine but yeah that's going to be a tough one I think England with with their class I mean they they have enough to at least get through this qualifying stage and then it's it's going to be a, a tough one and we don't really know we won't know until uh, you know June and if it's Wales Scotland or Ukraine so kind of hard to see uh, as far as what the other team comes out of that group that one is going to be a lot of fun moving on to group C you have Argentina Saudi Arabia Mexico and Poland what are your thoughts on Group C? Well, my thoughts on Group C, if, if we go back to the Euros, I, I was really high on Poland. I thought that they were going to do some damage, and there wasn't a whole lot that they did do. But I do like Argentina. I think what we saw at the at the Copa this past year, I thought that they were sensational. And I think Mexico obviously has the ability to, to really do well at this tournament. But for me, I'm thinking that it's going to be Argentina, Poland that are going to be battling it out for the top spot. And Mexico is going to have to make a push. I'm not so sure Saudi Arabia is going to be able to to push any of the teams. But stranger things, of course, have happened. But I actually think this is a really competitive group. And it's going to be a lot closer than people realize. Because three quality sides and one side that could potentially uh, get an upset if they play really, really well, Scott. Yeah, I think Argentina has to be happy with this group. Uh, certainly Saudi Arabia, the, the weak sister of, of these four. Mexico, hard to say. I mean, they didn't have an overwhelming uh, qualification campaign. They did enough to get through. Poland is that one team, and I agree with you. I'm just kind of waiting to see if they can just t- to get over the hump. Uh, Lewandowski, you know, he'll get you out of jams, but, you know, do they have anything besides him as far as that team to, to push them over the line? So I think this is going to be a competitive group. I think Argentina easily goes through, and then it's either going to be Mexico or Poland, and we'll just have to wait to see what happens there. Group D, France, Peru, or Australia. They have to play their playoffs still. Denmark and Tunisia. France the favorite on paper in that group. Daniel, how do you see that one working out? Well, I think on paper it's correct, and at initial glance, obviously, when the draw happened, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, based on how France is the way that they are and how good they are, no chance that they don't go through. And then Denmark, with the run that they had in the uh, in the qualification, I think it was something like 10 games straight where they didn't concede a goal or something ridiculous like right. that. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, it's got to be France and Denmark, but again, you know that at some point in one of these groups, at least one of these groups, there's going to be a huge upset. I just don't foresee it in Group D. I think France and Denmark are two, maybe three steps ahead of the other two teams that, they, uh, that they're going to play, Tunisia, obviously, and then whoever wins that, uh, that playoff matchup. 
yeah, I think France certainly gets through this group, and uh, we won't know if it's Peru or Australia. I would assume uh, Peru probably is a favorite in that match, although you can never count off the Socceroos. They always uh, play an entertaining brand of football. Uh, Denmark-Tunisia, to me, that's the match of the group as far as uh, which of the other teams potentially could get through. Tunisia, you know, they don't win a lot of style points, and uh, they don't have the talent of, of a Denmark or France, but they were very tough in qualifying in Africa, and I just I feel like this might be the tournament where the African teams do very well. So I'm not ready to say Tunisia is going to mark make it through that, but again, we'll have to see if it's Peru or Australia who come out of that playoff. Group E, this one's very interesting, and it seems pretty clear cut from at least initially. You knew there was going to be one team that was going to be maybe the top half of the group of death, Spain and Germany in the same group along with Japan and then you have either Costa Rica or New Zealand you know Costa Rica came on late in their World Cup qualifying campaign uh, an older squad but a lot of experience there they'll play New Zealand in, in the playoff group E is it pretty clear cut Daniel that Spain and Germany have a pretty clear path in this one I would say that having a pretty clear path and being pretty clear cut is a really good way to explain it and describe it because I do feel as though Spain and Germany are more than good enough and will just claim those top two spots in which order. I have no idea. I don't know if it'll be Spain, Germany or Germany, Spain, but I think those two teams are going to be steps ahead, obviously of Japan and then whoever wins that playoff matchup. But again, it'll, it's not that it's going to be a walk in the park. They are going to have to work. You remember the last world cup, how poor Germany were, they didn't even make it out of the group stage. So uh, we can't count, uh, we can't count our, you know, our stars really we have to we have to make sure everything's aligned first but i still do believe that spain and germany are the top two and that they will get through um playing the style of football that they do yeah germany certainly has a lot to uh, make up for if you will uh with their last uh embarrassing really uh for german mm-hmm. standards a group stage exit after winning the world cup in 2014 uh spain i think is a little more resurgent under luis enrique uh, after they lost in the second round to russia that seems like a million years ago right yeah. now back in 2018 so i i think both those teams go through i just don't see costa rica new zealand or japan having enough to finish in the top two in that group group F. Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia. This group, I think of all the groups, uh, is possibly the most entertaining group because, you know, Belgium, their golden generation, still trying to, to get that uh, that title that they have not gotten under this group. Uh, we've, we've talked a lot about Canada and their, uh, you know, World Cup run, and uh, they're, you know, they're, they're looking good. Uh, Morocco, you can't count out them. And, and Croatia, Croatia is always tough in any international competition. Daniel, I know you're fully invested in Group F. What do you see? I am fully invested, and I could spend hours on end talking about this group here. But what I want to say about Belgium and Croatia, when we talk about golden generation squads, over the past, let's say, four to six years, shall we say, there's been this hype around Belgium and Croatia for being golden generation, and they still are. These are like the two longest golden generation squads that we've ever seen. They're just so good. They have so many quality players. So I've had a million conversations. So it seems regarding, oh, well, Canada has a good group with the exception of Belgium. Oh, Canada has a great chance. Well, listen, I wouldn't count out Croatia. I think Croatia is phenomenal. So Canada has their hands full. I'm going to be 
extensively researching. I'm going to be extensively watching, and I think it's going to be so tough. But I still like Belgium in this group, but I'm not going to lie. I think Croatia will probably do enough to get the second spot. Canada will surely do enough to keep it competitive, and who knows, anything can happen. But uh, there's also that team there, Morocco, that can make something happen. So, like you said, I'm fully invested in this Group F. I think it is certainly one of the most entertaining groups at the World Cup. And I'm just so delighted that Canada's there and they've given themselves a chance to possibly go and do something. Yeah, I like Belgium in this group. Again, uh, so much talent on that team. Uh, you know, Croatia made the World Cup final in 2018, losing to France. Uh, Canada, they're, they're the X factor in this group. You know, they've been the sleeping giant of CONCACAF, uh, you know, since last work, reaching the World Cup back in 1986. So this is their opportunity to show that they deserve uh, to share the spotlight with uh, other CONCACAF uh, squads like the United States and Mexico. So this one is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Group G, just two groups left, uh, Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. How do you see that one shaking out? Well, I mean, th- this, one's, this one's an interesting one because you take a look at Cameroon. You, you were saying it earlier with some, some of the nations that you felt as though could make some noise. I believe that Cameroon really can make some noise come this World Cup. I believe that strongly. Switzerland, we saw them at the Euros. They didn't have a great group stage, but they did really well in, uh, in the knockout phases. Serbia, every time that they're at these championships, they seem to make it difficult on teams no matter who they play. And obviously, we know how good Brazil are. So this one, I would say, is probably one of the tougher ones to call, at least in my opinion. I'm going to say at this moment in time, unless if something changes, I'm going to say Brazil and Cameroon. But uh, I'm here to be proven wrong, obviously, if that happens. But I think Group G is, is a really interesting group, Scott. Yeah, no South American nation, and Daniel has won the World Cup uh, since uh, 2002 with uh, Ronaldo and Rivaldo in in Brazil, or with Brazil as they won in South Korea. Brazil certainly, you know, they cruised through their qualification campaign, and seeing the other three teams in this group, I I just don't see them not getting through it. And I I like Cameroon, you know, they made Mm -hmm. the... Uh, they made it through the group stage back in 1990 in, in Italy, and uh, I think they have a good chance in this one. Serbia and Switzerland, uh, you know, they're always tough. So this is going to be a very competitive group as well. Finally, in Group H, Portugal, uh, you know, they get a top seed uh, after, uh, you know, having to go through the playoff in Europe. Uh, they'll be in a group with Ghana, Uruguay, and Korea Republic. <laughs> This one's uh, on paper kind of tough to call as far as, uh, you know, obviously Portugal would be the favorite, but uh, any of those other three teams, Daniel, I think, have a, have a good shot to get through. I would say so, and I- I'm not sure how Ghana would feel about their performance um, this th- this past winter in-, in terms of the African Cup of Nations, but maybe they have now something to prove going into this. I still like Portugal being at the top. Uruguay, I wouldn't say that they're the Uruguay that we saw back in the day with Suarez and Diego Forlan and these sorts of players, Korea Republic. Um, they could do something, but for me, I think uh, I think Portugal and Ghana, I think those are probably going to be the two standouts, and then from there we'll have to see what happens. But Portugal had to do a, a real job to get themselves into the World Cup. Ghana, obviously, they had to do a little bit of work to get there too, but I like both of those teams, Scott. Yeah, I do as well. Uh, I think this one's going to be very competitive. Uh, you're going to have, I think, quite a few draws 
in this one. Uh, Uruguay, you know, they have a lot of experience on their team. Again, kind of kind of quietly going about their business in South America. And uh, I, I would agree with what you said, that Ghana team, I, I, I think there's potentially two or three African teams that get through, and I include Ghana in that one. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this late April edition of Full Time. And Daniel, over this past week, uh, some history was made by a team out of Detroit, Detroit City FC. They knocked off my team and MLS, the Columbus Crew, 2-1, to one, uh, their first ever game against a Major League Soccer team. This was part of a uh, tournament called the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup, a tournament that dates, believe it or not, over 100 years and includes all pro and amateur teams affiliated with U.S. soccer. Uh, you could kind of compare it to the FA Cup, uh, not really, but it's kind of that same situation. Uh, what a win for Detroit FC in front of about 8,000 fans in Hamtramck. You know, Detroit wanted to get an MLS team, and they're still hoping to get one. But what a win for them, knocking off an MLS team. They advanced to the round of 32, where they will take on Louisville City FC in the next round. Uh, A nice story. And, uh, boy, that's on my bucket list, Daniel, is to go to a match there because the fans are very rabid uh, from reports and uh, things that I've seen as far as that team. Uh, Just a nice win for Detroit City. A nice win indeed, and I mean, hey, how could you not be happy about that? It's it's fantastic that they were able to win. It shows that, that they have a huge compete level. Obviously, they're able to advance, and uh, when you shared that information with me, because to be honest, I didn't know about it at the time, uh, I was I was super delighted to see it, and when you look into it, it's like, you know what? Yeah, they deserve it, and it's uh, it's great that they were able to, to have a, a victory with such uh, high magnitude, Scott. Daniel, let's finish our show with... Local soccer uh, on this side of the pond, the high school girls soccer season, a little slow getting started uh, due to, well, if you look outside the weather, although downstate it's in the 70s right now, and I'm sure in southern Ontario it is as well, but uh, teams have not been able to get on the pitch very much. Hopefully the weather will start to cooperate. Now, I know you've been very busy, Daniel, with coaching and such on your side over in Sioux, Ontario. Give us a Sioux, Ontario local local soccer update. Well, the local soccer update here is that things are in full force, and starting this Monday, high school soccer will begin. So the first league games for high school soccer will uh, will kick off this Monday. We have uh, junior girls division, junior boys, senior girls, and senior boys. And then obviously uh, with youth competitive soccer, that is in uh, has been in full swing, of course, and uh, with academies and such, uh, all the kids are training, which is wonderful. But the big one, Scott, is uh, the high school soccer, which kicks off this week. It's going to be a rather short and compact season, obviously, because of COVID, there's been everything that's been pushed back, of course, including high school soccer. So we're looking at about a five to six week season, and it's going to be a lot. It has been a lot, but uh, we're so much looking forward to it for sure. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this April 23rd edition of Full Time. And Daniel will do our next show uh, here in about mid-May, uh, due to our schedules with your coaching and my umpiring and broadcasts and such, we'll we'll try to figure out the best day to do that. But uh, the next time we talk, uh, we will know the Champions League finalists and uh, certainly the domestic leagues in Europe uh, will be a little more sorted. But I think uh, in Italy and England, that one uh, could go down to the last match day. And, of course, you also have relegation battles. So we've got lots to talk about coming up in May. And uh, appreciate your time, uh, taking time out on this weekend to talk about the beautiful game because 
it's always a lot of fun uh, to watch, and certainly we're very privileged to be able to have this show and to share our thoughts and to give our listeners an update on what's going on in the world of soccer. 100%, Scott, and what I would say is that these next six weeks, as far as soccer goes locally and as it goes in the world itself, it's going to be so much, and our eyes are going to be peeled, and we're going to be all hands on deck. So, yeah, pleasure to do this show with you again uh, this weekend here, man, and thanks to everybody who tuned in and listened. Really appreciate everybody's support. Yes, we appreciate our support. Uh, we get a lot of listeners and downloads to the show, and we'll continue doing this throughout the soccer season and in the off season because the soccer season never, ever ends, and we are very thankful for that. That's going to do it for this April 23rd edition of Full Time, brought to you by the Game Sports Show, the Game Entertainment and Media, and sponsored by Northern Superior Brewery in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. For Daniel Scarpino, my name is Scott Nason. Have a great rest of your weekend, and we will talk to you in mid-May for our next edition of Full Time here on the Game Entertainment and Media.